You also have the ability to sort of go back into like history of conversations that you've asked. Here's an example of, hey, uh, you know, what is a shadow rule? I'm trying to understand what a shadow rule is. It comes back with a response. It gives you the sources and the links. What we've done here at Cisco is that we've solved an incredibly hard problem, you know, a very hard computer science problem in like being able to recognize, you know, which application is sending what type of traffic, even, you know, without decrypting those packets. So, so encrypted, you know, wow. visibility engine or Eve is able to see that, you know, whether it's, you know, TLS or quick, you know, protocol, recognize that, hey, um, you know, this particular application is now, you know, sending this type of traffic. It can recognize which operating system the application is running on, what browser it's using, what version, uh, you know, of the OS in the browser, what type of headers are on top of it, just by inspecting the handshake, just by inspecting, looking at, you know, the, the encrypted traffic itself. It's a bit scary, I think, because, you know, ChatGPT writing a letter or writing some poem or something is, is one thing. But AI writing firewall rules that could affect a company is, is like a next level of like seriousness. I think we're going to go through that same phase of like, you know, a lot yeah. of skepticism to like, wait, it's starting to be useful. I'm starting to use it every once in a while to like, I'm starting to use it every day to like, I completely trust it to do its job. I think we'll see that same transition happen here as well. And we're just at the beginning of that curve. Everyone, it's David Bumble back with a very special guest, DJ Welcome. Hey, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. So DJ, can you introduce yourself to the audience? You've got a, a great story, something, an announcement as well, but tell us a bit about yourself and then tell us about this amazing announcement that I think is gonna change a lot of people's lives. Yeah, no, first of all, thanks for having me. This is uh, super exciting to be here. Um, uh, I'm, I'm your classic, you know, cliched immigrant. Uh, you know, came to this country, United States here, uh, almost about 20 years ago, $800 in my pocket, dreams of conquering the world. Got a PhD in computer engineering, went to school at UC Santa Cruz, got a DARPA DOD grant, a Department of Defense grant, which means that I could work on some pretty cool projects you know, across the board. Uh, spent some time at Berkeley, Media Labs at MIT. I worked out of a, a defense contractor called BBN Technologies. And um, you know, part of my job was sort of building out communication protocols with drones. And um, you know, um, spent some time starting startups. I was a VP of engineering and chief architect uh, at a company, a startup called Stackrocks. Right after that, I uh, started Armablox. I was the co-founder and CEO. And uh, at Armablox, uh, our hypothesis was this, right? We were sort of seeing this huge shift, you know, that, were, that was about to happen with respect to natural language processing and natural language understanding. Yep. This is back in 2017, 2018, where, you know, OpenAI was still a, a smallish outfit that had just broken out of Google. And, uh, and, and we're talking about AGI. A lot of people were just looking at them going, hey, you know, these people are wide-eyed, you know, um, <laughs> scientists that are that are just out there, like wanting to build something brand new and different. But um, it still wasn't what, what it is today. But, you know, uh, we sort of uh, knew people in there, we're working with them and they, they announced this thing called Transformers, which is really yeah. interesting, you know, and we were like, hey, what does this Transformer mean? We sort of saw the very first glimpse of, you know, GPT or, or, or generative pre-trained Transformer models, which fundamentally allow you to do a lot more interesting things with textual data. And that was our segue to sort of imagining what could be for cybersecurity. And so we, yeah. you know, we sort of founded the company around that hypothesis that, you know, AI is going to be very important for security and cybersecurity. And let's start, you know, focusing on specific use cases. So, so the first use case we picked was email security. And so, yeah. uh, and that really allowed us to understand and solve the problem very meaningfully. Uh, the company was ultimately acquired after five, you know, five and a half years uh, into Cisco. Um, as recently as about you know uh, three months ago, and um, and wow. we're um, you know we're we're now inside of Cisco. I'm currently the VP of products uh, for AI uh, with the security business group at Cisco, 
and uh, responsible for injecting AI into, you know, in the entire journey of AI in specific, you know, uh, into the entire portfolio. So that's a, it's a little bit about my background and, and what I'm doing right now. But uh, but yeah, it's it's really interesting times with respect to AI. There's a lot of hype, right? ChatGPT really like brought it to the forefront. I think it made it real for a lot of people. But I mean, you've been talking about how this changes business processes and security for a long time. And I mean, the companies that that you that you well, the company that you created and the companies you've worked in, being, this has been a journey. Absolutely, you're you're spot on, right? I think it's um it, it's not a it's not like you know a lot of times overnight transformations are talked about as truly being overnight. Um, yeah. when it's actually been many, many years in the making. And I think, you know, when you, when you even reflect on just, um, just AI itself, right? AI has had, you know, tons of AI winters as, as like in a lot of research, you know, researchers like to call it. There are the, these booms and busts that happen, um, yeah. just based off of, um, you know, where technologies and its adoptions, uh, curves are. I think what's really, you know, tremendously exciting about AI, especially with, you know, what happened last year in November, when ChatGPT came out of, you know, uh, it was was officially launched, was that it 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 made AI accessible to like you know folks like you and yeah. me that aren't like deep in the weeds of it or like anybody that just wants to go up to a site and start using it, right? I think I think that really changed the way people thought about and perceived, you yeah. know, what AI could do. Um, so so essentially, the large language models that powers them powers the powers the ChatGPT powers those applications. I think it's really sparked people's imagination, you know, drastically and. And again, the core architecture, and I'm sure we'll see a lot more architectures beyond just the transformers, but the core architecture really lends itself, you know, well to like solving a lot of problems that requires a huge amount of human effort today. The announcement, you you better tell us about this announcement because it affects a problem. I mean, I've been doing firewalls for way too long, showing my age. I remember for, for as long as it's ever been, Firewall rules and stuff have been an absolute nightmare. You're you're spot on, right? I think um, you know one of the one of the first you know sort of conversations that we started having you know with with you know with folks inside of Cisco and and, and as you know Cisco security when you take a look at you know one of the largest offerings that that we put out there is a is a Cisco firewall, right? You know, and yeah. um, and and the firewall really you know moves the needle from a business perspective, but also for all of the customers that we sell firewalls to, it is a a must have. It's not a it's not yeah. a, a an, you know it's an aspirin. It's not a vitamin, right? That they absolutely yeah. need the firewall to be there. One of the challenges with you know with something like that is that it's extremely you know it's a very complicated complex you know piece of equipment. You know when you think about what a firewall can and cannot accomplish, it's basically consuming traffic that's going in or out of your environment at at speeds that are you know that that have to support like you know any and every application and any type of outages or any type of problems that happen can potentially affect millions if not billions of dollars of revenue you know for for a business so yeah. it plays a very critical function and it's a very complex piece of equipment and you know whether it's in software or hardware uh, and, and so it becomes really important to sort of think about what the future of that looks like and 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 part of the charter that we have is to fundamentally redefine reshape that and there's a tremendous amount of momentum and excitement that's happening inside of Cisco that's fundamentally changing what the future of this is going to look like. And so as part of the announcement, you know, one of the big things that we're going to announce, um, you know, and, and we're, we're actively announcing um, is the AI assistant for the firewall. And it's, it's one of the first of its kind. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of Copilot. You've heard of, you know, Microsoft talking about Copilot. You've heard of other folks, you know, talking about some of those experiences. But what we're bringing to the table is fundamentally different. We're saying, hey, we are going to launch an AI assistant that 
understands the the policies, understands rules that are inside of a firewall. You know, on top of that, we're we're able to understand how to troubleshoot, how to provide step by step instructions to manage that firewall, and and provide additional visibility into your policies, and uh, and also give you the ability to troubleshoot, you know, um, your firewall much much easier, you know, faster. The key thing to sort of think about this is, it's like, hey, you know, is there going to be an AI assistant for each part of the security portfolio or security product? And and that's where I think we have fundamentally, you know taking a step back and said, hey, this needs to be reimagined. It's not going to be, yeah. you know, a, an AI assistant for a firewall, an AI assistant for your XDR. It is going to be a unified assistant, you know, for the Thank entire security cloud, right? So, yeah, I mean, from an experience perspective, you as a customer, you're yeah. you're fundamentally, you know, you're, you're changing the way you're interacting with your security suite of products, right? You're, you're going to use natural language to ask a simple question. Hey, I want to block this traffic from going out to you know xyz.com, and uh, yeah. and and, and the, the assistant basically parses that, knows which APIs to call, constructs the the rule for you, comes back and, and lays it all out, which makes your life a lot easier as a as an analyst or as a firewall admin. And uh, and most importantly, like when you think about the natural behaviors, you mentioned that you 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 played around with firewalls yourself, you know. And, uh, and so have I. I've, I've actually built you know, firewalls in a different company before uh, in, in part, of my, part of my journey here. The interesting thing is you'll notice that people that use the firewalls, they don't want to normally change rules or policies once no. it's been deployed, right? Because you might break something, yeah. Exactly, you might break something. And you don't want to be the person that, that gets fired for yeah. like, you know, changing a small rule somewhere, right? So, so I think what ends up happening because of that is that you've got tons and tons of rules, you know, rules exactly, on top of yeah. rules and policies that are now sitting out there. We've, we've actually talk to a bunch of customers and a lot of them actually have like you know hundreds of thousands of rules and some of them even have millions of rules and, uh, and that becomes really hard to manage and uh, and so we're leveraging AI and the AI assistant now you know has the ability to get a lot more smarter about the policy itself right it has the ability to go back and reason and say hey hang on a second you're trying to you know, add a new policy uh, guess what? You already have a policy that looks a lot like this. Maybe you just need to create an object and attach it to this policy, right? And then, you know, you as an admin, you go, oh, wait, I didn't have a policy for that. Oh, that's great. I, I had a rule that almost had all of the right objects. I just had to create a new AD group and attach this person to it. Great. I'm just going to say yes to this. We want to simplify and, and create that experience. And, and that's really magical for the firewall admin. But but again, it doesn't stop there. You know, we're tying that seamlessly across the board. But I think, you know, just taking a step back for a second, as you think about the announcement itself, why should a customer care about this becomes, you know, a thing like a practitioner? Why should an admin, you know, you know, get tremendously excited. So let me let me just take a minute, if you don't mind. I'll just sort of just set up, um, you know, a, a basic sort of our a framing or a frame of reference of how we at Cisco are thinking about this. Right? When you sort of see this, the way we're, uh, we're talking about this, we we keep customers at the center of our conversations. Right? So if if you're a customer, you're wondering why should I care about AI? Um, the very first you know thing that that comes to mind is the the fundamental change in experience. Right? You no longer yeah. are fiddling with knobs. You're you're using natural language to communicate with you know your your security solutions, and so fundamentally, we're changing the experience of how users engage with security. Uh, the second part of it is really about the efficacy side of the house. Like, are we able to like do things at machine scale because we want things that uh, are you know security products that are able to detect things faster, quicker, better, and then ultimately it's all about the economics. Like, can I do more with less? Because I don't have as many yeah. dollars to spend. I'm doing you know all of these things. Can I you know how can I do more with less? 
And so those are the reasons why customers you know, absolutely have to care about AI right now. The why quickly segues in a wait, great, I'm, I'm bought into this, but what is Cisco doing for you know for 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 me? And that's where you know you sort of get into the conversation of the what. And and, and so we're breaking that down into you know three pillars, which is assist, augment, and automate. When we talk about assist, we're talking about AI assistance. We just talked about what we're announcing, what we're launching. AI assistants are fundamentally going to change the way that humans and machines interact. So we're launching that experience first, but then we're combining that with you know the ability to sort of correlate you know insights across you know the 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 number of you know vast disparate signals that Cisco generates, right? Whether it's on yeah. the network or the email or the the DNS, the endpoint, all of the native telemetry that we have, we want to be able to correlate. That's where the augment piece comes in, where we're able to augment you know, human insights with machine intelligence. And the last piece is, of course, to automate, you know, complex workflows that make the lives of security admins a lot easier. So those are the three pillars on which we're building technologies. And um, and finally, when you break it down into how are we doing this, we break it into data models and governance. The data part really focuses on the, again, the telemetry that we're getting from different sources. The models are specifically focused on the, the third-party models, you know, like OpenAI or Anthropic or Cohere, um, or you know sometimes you know the open source models that we're using, or in fact the, the models that we are trying to start building ourselves, foundation models that are native to Cisco. So we're picking the best of breed uh, among those models, and and in in you know focusing on things that you know make the most amount of sense for the application that we're using. And ultimately, governance is important, right? Everybody cares about what type of data are we using? Is the data like yeah. you know sanitized? Do we have like the right type of guardrails in place? Making sure no data is leaking. That's absolutely important to us. Like we are a security company, and at Cisco, we're a trusted business partner for a lot of lots and lots of enterprises. So responsible yeah. AI is absolutely non-negotiable. So that's that's sort of how we're thinking about you know the framing of the entire conversation, and uh, we're launching specifically experiences in each one of these segments, as you can see. So firewalls is just the beginning, right? Firewall is just the beginning. I love how you put it, and it's it's absolutely just the beginning. And uh, and let me show you. You know, uh, one of the things that you just mentioned was that there's there's a, a ton of hype around this, yep. and um, you know, and it's uh, and it's hard because you know one of the interesting things about AI right now is that it's moving incredibly fast. Things are changing almost on a daily, you know, weekly basis. A lot of times, when you take a look at some of the demos that are online, it's interesting. It shows you the art of what's possible. It seems fascinating. But when you have when you take the step from like a demo to like a product, yeah. it's a very different ballgame. Yeah, I think I mean I, I, you, you've got a demo, and I want to get to that. The, the audience, a lot of people are working with firewalls, and um, a lot of us have had like experiences with technologies over the years. And you mentioned Copilot. Um, I think one of the concerns a lot of engineers will have is, can I trust this? No, I think I think that's uh, it's the number one thing, right? And uh, when we do yeah. our own, you know, conversations with our customers, and uh, we're talking to the analysts, we're talking to you know practitioners that are using this on a daily basis. I think the, the number one thought that that sort of crosses their mind is like, hey, I don't know, is this going to be safe? Is this not going to, be, you know, is this going to do the right sets of things? You know, how do I think about this? How do I position this? Uh, there's there's a lot of lot of thinking around that that that's sort of happening, and and I think we've we've been very thoughtful about how we want to approach this, right? I think we've yeah. made sure that we're uh, when we think about, uh, you know, one of the common topics is really about hallucination, right? People say that yeah, if I were problem, to yeah. ask it a yeah. question, is it going to come back with the right response? And um, and so so what we have done, you know, with respect to hallucination is that we've come up with a, a technology stack that uses something called grounding, where it is okay. grounding all of its answers based on knowledge that you're pointing the, uh, the large language model to, saying, hey, um, answer the question that I'm asking you 
from this repository of information or from this database? If you don't know the answer, don't make it up. And um, yeah. and the best part is like, you know, when you say that, it, it actually starts, you know, behaving appropriately. It only comes back with the answers from the, uh, you know, from the data store or from the knowledge base that it has. And so, um, so yeah, so you're, you're spot on. I think trust is the the number one thing that we have to go out and solve for. And again, and as I walk you through the demo, you'll see that we're trying to build the right types of user experiences to sort of improve and enhance the trust that, you know, that they have. And, and the one point I'll just, you know, articulate before I dive into the demo is that it is a challenge, right? When you think about, you know, uh, uh, people getting on planes, planes are by and large, you know, being driven by, you know, control systems that are yeah. that are powering the autopilot mechanism. You know, yeah. the, the pilot's really watching for like abnormal things, but, you know, yeah. by by and large, the plane sort of flies itself. Trying to get that, um, you know, uh, into a reality for cars has been a lot harder because, yeah. you know, you now have like a much larger population as opposed to just the uh, small group of pilots that are piloting, you know, aircrafts. You now have like var- in a vast majority of people that are still uncomfortable letting go of control, but it's starting to happen, yeah. you know, with uh, self-driving yeah. cars becoming yeah. a reality. I think we're going to go through that same phase of like, you know, a lot yeah. of skepticism to like, wait, it's starting to be useful. I'm starting to use it every once in a while to like, I'm starting to use it every day to like, I completely trust it to do its job. I think we'll see that same transition happen here as well. And we're just at the beginning of that curve. So here's a, a quick view of um, what it is that we are building and um, and then we will be announcing very, very shortly. Here's the Cisco Defense Orchestrator. We use the uh, the CDO to be able to um, control, manage uh, your firewall rules, your policies. And, uh, and what you're gonna see over here is um, a, an instance where we, um, we've actually deployed the AI assistant. You can see it right on top. You invoke it by clicking on a button. It pops right over. And um, you know this sort of has a UI and a UX that's easy to use, easy to understand. In this case, it looks a lot like you know um, what you might see from a chat GPT, right? It asks yeah. you, hey, what, what would you like to ask today? Here's an initial setup guide. Here's an admin, you know, super admin experience access control. You know, these are sample prompts that you can ask. So for instance here, what access control rules are disabled? You can click into it and uh, it's going to come back, come back with a response. You also have the ability to sort of go back into like history of conversations that you've asked. Here's an example of, hey, uh, you know, what is a shadow rule? I'm trying to understand what a shadow rule is. It comes back with a response. It gives you the sources and the links. What's interesting over here is that you've got, um, you know, uh, the ability to give feedback. So nice. you can give it a feedback, and you can say, "Hey, wait a minute, I was not happy with the response that just came back." And then you could give it a, a thumbs down. And then when you do that, uh, it'll come back with a few options. You can say, "Hey, you know, it was factually inaccurate. It was uh, irrelevant. It was you know, a problem with the citation, and so on and so forth." And, uh, and that automatically provides feedback that makes the models better. You know, it's not just that, you know, we're constantly, you know, giving you answers where we know for a fact that, you know, the answers that, that you see are mostly going to be right. But when they're not right, you have the ability to give feedback and, and make the models better. So that's really what we have, you know, built into this. But, you know, going back to the uh, conversation, you know, you can, you can basically ask questions about a specific policy. It's like, hey, list all of the policies that are actively deployed. It comes back and says, hey, here are the, some of the policies that, are, that have been actively deployed. And then I can ask it a question to say, hey, can you turn this policy on? Can you set it to block? Can you give me a list of objects? Um, you know, give me step-by-step instructions to make this change. And, you know, we've also built the guardrails. Now, if you were to ask it a question about, hey, what is the weather like today? It's going to come back and say, hey, thanks for your question, but I'm a firewall expert and this is my area of expertise. So um, if you want to ask about the weather, you might want to try different websites to do so. 
So we've implemented those basic guardrails as well. So that's a, a quick view. You will have the ability to make this full screen if you want to, you know, if you are constantly using it, which is what we'd like you to do. Uh, and if, if things work out well and, and it's sort of solving the, you know, the problems for you, you know, you would, you know, potentially put this on a, on a, on a second screen and start using this as your default way to be able to talk to, uh, you know, your security products. And so, and, and at the same time, when you're done with the work, you just, you know, close it out and uh, you can always invoke it back. And now it comes back the same way. You can move it around if you like it as a side right rail and uh, experience. So you can just say, hey, you know, pop it to the side. So we've made sure that from a usability perspective, it's got the right sorts of things. You know, we've been doing this for a long time. In the old days, it was CLI was the way that we managed devices. And then it's moved yeah. to like GUI. And this is just another iteration of an interface. Is that, is that kind of fair to say? It's a, it's a great point that you raised, right? I think you're spot on about how we're moving back to a, a text-based interface. But I think the, um, the fundamental shift, though, is that you don't have to learn a new language anymore. You don't have to yeah. learn how the CLI spec works. You can come and ask a question as you would normally would. It's like, how do I create a basic security policy for FTD? And then you're off to the races. It breaks it down for you. It gives you the sources so you feel confident that, hey, I can go read up the source. You know, you can click into it to say, oh, um, you know, can I get more details on that specific link? And then you know exactly that, oh, it's, it's, it's pulling all of this information from here. Imagine now this working across a, a, a portfolio of products. It's not just one product. It's like, you know, your, your firewall, your XDR, your, you know, yeah. uh, think about, you know, every single suite of products that are seamlessly now interfacing using a, a singular assistant, it starts to make a lot of uh, a lot of sense from a you know from from where we are headed perspective. So so this is today what you're seeing is for the firewall, and this is the big announcement. We are actively adding more capabilities. Um, this is going to be launched uh, you know in private preview for our customers that are using CDO and and, and CDFMC, which is the, the the Cisco Defense Orchestrator and the Cloud Delivered Firewall Management Center. And then you know we're rolling this out to the on-prem FMCs as well which is really interesting, right? I think when you think about a lot of customers that are still running their firewalls on-prem, that are not connected to yeah. the cloud, we are still offering them the ability to leverage the AI assistant. By summer, they'll be able to start using this as well. So it really changes the game for all of the firewall you know, uh, users and admins. And our goal is to be able to give them a, 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 you know, a unified, you know, a single pane of glass, if you will. Uh, but to your point, it's going to be a, you know, a conversational interface. Yeah, I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, I think ChatGPT really brought it home to a lot of people how powerful it is to have a chat interface. Before that, AI was this like thing somewhere out there in the ether, but it kind of brought it home to a lot of people that you can configure stuff and get a lot of information just by chatting to a machine. You're spot on, right? I think I think that is the big you know, game changer, right? I think, yeah. um, and again, it's, you know, one of the interesting things that's happening from an evolution perspective is that we're starting to see multimodal responses, right? So it's not just the a text-based response. It's able to come back to you, you know, uh, in a tabular format. You're able to now start providing it with pictures and it recognizes what the picture yeah. is about and it's able to respond back as well. So what's what's sort of happening, and again, uh, the same thing's happening with voice to text you know, transcription as well. We're very rapidly sort of headed to the place where the conversational way of engaging with machines is going to become the default way of you know getting things done. And you know, as much as it might seem unnatural to begin with, and that's like people are used to using keyboards, uh, they're used to yeah. using a mouse. If you remember, there was a big transition from like folks that just used a, a text-based interface to like giving them a... Yeah a mouse and saying, hey, start to use the GUI. And uh, and there were people that were holding out saying, no, no, I'm going to still use my yeah, Emacs. Never, I'm never. still going to use my yeah, WIM. Yeah. 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 Right. And so um, so we're, we will have an initial face of like people saying, wait a minute, this feels a little unnatural. 
before they start to recognize that it is saving them a lot of pain. We've already done some user studies where um, the user research responses have come back and, and, and you can see a marked improvement in, in the rate of learning for people that are not familiar with something. It gets them to a point of being productive much faster. But more importantly, for those that are experts as well, you know, once they recognize that the system is doing what it's supposed to and their trust factor increases, they start using this more than going down and like clicking on knobs, you know, five pages deep that they just, you know, trust the assistant to go out and execute on it over and over again. The problem in cybersecurity, right, is uh, it, we just don't seem to be winning. So it looks like the old way is just not working. And it sounds like this is, we have to do this. We have no choice because we overwhelmed. There's, there's too many attacks. Companies are getting hacked every day. It sounds like this is we have we have no choice to rely on our manual way of doing things, right? Absolutely. I think I think this is truly that moment in time where you know um, AI starts tipping the uh, you know the battle uh, in favor of the defenders, right? And yeah. uh, and that's really what we're seeing right now um, because it is not cheap to be able to you know run inferences on models, um, which directly you know means that you know the the economics for an attacker is fundamentally starting to shift. When you are able to correlate things at, at, a, at a speed faster than what humans are able to do, you are forever changing the way you know the economics of an attack happens, and so so that's why this is incredibly interesting. One of the so let's let I just want to like ask the questions that I'm pretty sure a lot of people are, ask, are thinking about is the problem with like ChatGPT, and I'll just use that as the example because it's like the poster child, if you like hallucinations. You've addressed so hallucinations are a big problem, where it just makes up random stuff, um, and then the other thing is training data. I think a big concern about AI is what is it actually trained on? You know, I think I think the um, one of the things about you know uh, let's let's talk about ChatGPT because that was the example, but then we'll we'll talk about the models that we're using as well. I think when yeah. you use ChatGPT, I think you know the, the interesting part of it is it's crawled the entirety of the web in you know in, in some shape or form, right? But yeah. um, what we don't know and what they've not made public is you know what else went into it, like what are the training sources. Yeah. How, how do they curate the, the, the data? There's a lot of, um, you know, something called a reinforced learning through human feedback that's gone in, or, yeah. you know, R, RLHF for short. It's basically, you know, humans sort of like curating the data set and changing the shape of the model to sort of respond appropriately. So there's not, you know, there's lower levels of toxicity, you know, there's lower levels yeah. of hallucination and so on and so forth, right? So, so a ton of work has gone into building these, you know, these models. And we're seeing a, a huge movement where, you know, open source models are starting to, you know, uh, perform rather well. And uh, and the same thing is sort of happening with, you know, some of the small models as well, which are not quite as large as the open AI models, but smaller models that are effective and useful in, in being able to solve these problems. So, so we're seeing a, a brand new ecosystem of models emerge, and each one of them have different corpuses of data that they're training on. What's really interesting is being able to um, build domain-specific models that understand a specific domain starts to get yeah. tremendously interesting, right? When you think about a company like Cisco, we've got data coming in all the way, you know, from the network to the, um, you know, to the endpoints, through emails, through DNS, to like pretty much, you know, there's data that's coming in across the board and, and each, you know, our, our ability to sort of like understand that data is rather unique, right? Because of all the things that we do. Yeah. And so yeah. building custom models that, that sort of understand that data uh, becomes a, a an, an absolute requirement. So that's something that, we are aware of, and we're making sure that when we look at that data, we're we're training in you know the right and the appropriate ways. You know, um, we've got the right amount of guardrails implemented that make sure that there's no you know PII PCI data inside of 
uh, training data that we that we use. We've de-identified any customer-specific information. Sometimes we, you know, we actually don't even use customer data. We're actually creating synthetic data based off of the the statistical properties of the data that we're seeing, and then using that synthetic data to be able to train the models to behave in a particular way, so that when you detect an anomaly, it's able to automatically sort of guess what that anomaly could potentially mean, and then you know, use that to be able to effectively, you know, do the detection. So yeah, we're, uh, you know, training data is really important. And um, yeah. as you think about companies that will become successful, you know, companies that have, you know, a massive amount of data gravity will obviously become the de facto winners in this game because um, it'll matter that you have unique algorithms, but it'll matter even more that you have access to proprietary yeah. data. And, uh, and that's where, you know, we're very interestingly poised. Yeah, I think that's Cisco's huge strength. You've got all this data. That's because I think the when I talk to people about AI and networking or AI and security, that people say, look, the problem is like ChatGPT or whatever was just pulling the stuff off the internet, and I mean you can't trust a lot of that stuff. At least, I mean, the difference here is you, you're using proper data for the specific domain. That's right. That's right. And I think I think you know um, it's 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 interesting, right? ChatGPT in itself, like you know, it is. They've not only just pulled the data, but they've done a lot of work on top of it to be able to make it, yeah. you know, um, really effective. So the way to also think about this is the models are good at being able to like provide you know, an explanation in natural language in, a, in an English language that we can understand. But then there are other techniques called retrieval augmented generation or RAG which you know uses data from a database or a corpus of data from a, from a knowledge base that is very specific to the questions that you're asking. When you are retrieving data from that RAG and then you're couched it in the context of the language model, you sort of now have the ability to you know get the best of both worlds. So you can easily now use a model like ChatGPT, the, the equivalent of the GPT-4 model or the GPT-4 Turbo, which was just recently announced. You could use yeah. the latest and the greatest but then you're grounding it on data that is very specific to what you have. So that really, you know, the combination really makes a, a huge difference, you know, um, to a customer, you know, as they start using AI. I think the, I mean, it's, I, I want to talk about the, um, you've got the AI powered encrypted visibility engine as well, right? And, and then I want to that's come right. back to some of the concerns people have because we, we, I don't know how much time we got left. So could you tell us what that's about? Because that's really interesting because the big issue is like, I've got all this traffic coming in. Everything's encrypted these days. I mean, you try and do a, a network capture, it's all encrypted. How on earth do you know what's good, what's bad? No, I think I think you're, you're spot on. So, so going beyond the assistance, you know, we're leveraging AI to be able to effectively, you know, do detections, right? Being able to, you know, augment. We we talked about assist, augment, and automate. Uh, the part where we're we're augmenting human intelligence here is, you know, um, by looking at the at the data packets that are going from you know point A to point B. But because they're encrypted, you know, it's hard for you to be able to like, you know, crack them open and, and decrypting it is expensive as well from a compute perspective, all the yeah. way, you know, up into the, uh, you know, to the application layer. What we've done here at Cisco is that we've solved an incredibly hard problem, you know, a very hard computer science problem in like being able to recognize, you know, which application is sending what type of traffic, even, you know, without decrypting those packets. So, so encrypted, you know, wow. visibility engine or Eve is able to see that, you know, whether it's, you know, TLS or quick, you know, protocol, recognize that, hey, um, you know, this particular application is now, you know, sending this type of traffic. It can recognize which operating system the application is running on, what browser it's using, what version, uh, you know, of the OS in the browser, what type of headers are on top of it, just by inspecting the handshake, just by inspecting, looking at, you know, the, the encrypted traffic itself. And um, it's using a, a bunch of different methods inside it to be able to identify a malware um, that's uh, that's sending traffic. 
you know, we're using LSTMs, bidirectional long short-term memory, which is a technique in deep learning to be able to identify these signatures. And, um, and then on top of that, we're using, you know, naive Bayesian, you know, signatures as well uh, to be able to recognize that, hey, this application is this fingerprint and give it, you know, a certain, you know, confidence score uh, based on, what the uh, what the classifier comes back with. All of this is interesting, but you know, if you're just identifying, that's not going to be enough, right? You've got to be yeah, able exactly. to take an action on the traffic. What we're announcing is that we're we're effectively able to write rules inside of the firewall that blocks this traffic from a malicious, you know, a process that could be running inside of a, you know an endpoint without you having to decrypt the traffic. And so, think oh. about what happens when a ransomware comes together, right? You have a process that's running inside of a device, and this device could be something that you could not run an endpoint agent on. It could be like a a heart lung monitor, or it could be a um, you know a, a diabetic you know pump that you know shoots out insulin that's running a Windows operating system, and it's hard to like install an endpoint agent. So, which means you might have to like if 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 it gets a process that starts to encrypt things and you know start to behave like a ransomware you have the ability to use those known signatures to block the traffic that it would send out to exfiltrate all the data out and create the uh, uh, the ransomware part. You have the ability to stop that at the network level without you know doing anything. So, so it's, it's, a, it's a huge thing that we're doing, you know, being able to block malicious encrypted traffic you know, from egressing outside of your environment. In other words, you are able to see what's in the packets even though you're not decrypting it. Correct. We're we're able to use like like you know, properties of the packet, the size of the packet, yeah. being able to see where it's originating, where it's terminating. We're able to extract, you know, just by looking at the the characteristics of the encrypted packets. We're able to determine it's sort of where the secret sauce comes in, where it says, "Hey, we have now, you know, we're now effectively able to, with a high degree of confidence, state that this packet belongs to this process, and therefore we can start taking actions on them, you know, on that entire." session on those packets on the stream and uh, and block the traffic from going out. I would just want to address like an elephant in the room for a lot of people. Jobs is there a future for me? There you get the you know the the one side of the of the like sort of um, story out there that no one's going to have a job in 5 years or 10 years or whatever because AI is going to eat all the jobs. And then you've got the other side which says AI is, is nowhere near good enough to be deployed. And I mean this is like a real world example. It's a bit scary, I think, because you know, ChatGPT writing a letter or writing some poem or something is is one thing, but a, a, an AI writing firewall rules that could affect a company is, is like a next level of like seriousness. No, I, I think that's a uh, it's a it's an excellent question, uh, David. I think the 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 way to think about this is um, anytime there's a new technological epoch, there's a lot of things that change when that epoch comes together. Yeah. If it weren't for the advancement of internet and uh, and us all collectively as a humanity embracing internet, you and I wouldn't be able to do this call, you know, exactly. on a web browser, right? You know, I think yeah. I think what's going to happen is, you know, we're now basically looking at an epoch that's moved faster than any other epochs in the past, right? Because we now yeah. have an amazing distribution mechanism, which is basically the internet. And, uh, and yeah. AI is able to move a lot faster because we have the connectivity that we need to be able to effectively distribute AI. In, in some ways, I think the, the reason for that fear might be because of the speed at which it's moving. But that said, yeah. I think it's about, you know, uh, I don't think it's, you know, ever going to replace a human being. I think the way I sort of see it, you know, personally is that it's going to augment the human ability. It's going to provide us with, you know, superhuman capabilities. We're going to be able to do yeah. things, tasks that used to take a lot longer, uh, a lot faster right now. You know, it's like, you know, if you go back to spreadsheets, when before spreadsheets existed, we would have to spend, 
time yeah. writing complex you know instructions or writing them on ledgers of like all the things that we had to do spreadsheets sped things up it did not take away the jobs it took away some different types of job but it repurposed it into something a lot more interesting for the knowledge workers I, I I bet you that that is what is going to happen. I think you're going to start to see you know certain things about managing a firewall is going to become easier, which means you're no longer going to see firewalls with six million rules or five million rules out there yeah. anymore because it's becoming it's going to become easier to manage. It's going to become easier to you know get in there, add a rule, and you know it's not going to require a, a, a master's or PhD in managing firewalls, right? So that is that part is going to get easier. Uh, which means you now have you know creative forces and energies being spent on other more interesting problems. And yeah. uh, in, in the best part about humanity is that we we always find interesting, more interesting things to go out and solve. You know, and so so that's really what we will see at the next turn. I don't think it's going to take away all of our jobs. It's going to make us really good at our jobs and give us better things to do. I love that. It's a great explanation. I think the the next question in 2024. What should I study or where do you, I mean, this is like a major shift and there's a lot of hype and it's always nice to talk to someone who's an expert in the field to separate the hype versus like reality and like actionable things that I should do. So, I mean, perhaps you can just give us some guidance, like career advice or, you know, where do you think we should, if I'm, if I want to study something, I mean, I should study AI, whatever that means, like any idea, any like sort of guidelines, any advice? No, for sure. I think I think what's what's sort of happening is that AI is moving out of the the research labs into the hands of people that can use it. The the, the minute you can actually access AI over an API call, you you yeah. know that at this point in time it's moved away from like researchers to developers and engineers that can build yeah. amazing experiences on top of those APIs. It sort of happened with the cloud as well. I'll use cloud as an analogy, right? Previously, if you had to build your own data center, you needed to know. Everything about how do I rack and stack each and every single one of my yeah. servers? How do I solve for power? How do I solve for cooling? You had to know all of that to be able to effectively, you know, build an application that runs on top of the data center. Yeah. You know, when, when when what happened with the hyperscalers was that they provided you with a simple API call that allowed you to just deploy your application and everything got managed by itself. Where where that same sort of phase of evolution where you don't need to know about every single matrix multiplication that goes on to be able to build or create these models. You have the ability to sort of come in and say, "Hey, I'm going to use the APIs to be able to build amazing experiences on top." So, um, so in some ways, you know, instead of AI researchers, you're going to start to see a lot of AI engineers, and uh, and then along with this, you're going to see a lot of AI operations people that come along and say, "Hey, in order to make sure that the AI APIs are working properly, I have like machine learning ops or AI ops is going to become a thing as well." For people that are looking at specializing, you know, it's sort of you you just have to pick which you know part of that. You know, gradient. Do you want to be? Do you want to be part of the the research team? In which case, you want to spend time learning about the core mathematical you know foundations that yeah. go behind building you know machine learning and deep learning models. If you want to be more of the AI engineer, then you know you start you know playing around with the APIs that are available for GPT or you know playing around with APIs for Anthropic and like some of the other models that are coming out. Understanding how to like build applications on top of them. And if you want to be on the operation side, being able to understand what it means to like serve a model, what it means to, you know, leverage the GPUs, you know, in a cost optimal fashion, all of those problems become a lot more interesting. So those are the spectrum, and that's sort of how I would break it down, and that's how I'd, I would spend time focusing on which uh, which areas to focus, uh, which areas to spend time on. I, I I always advise people, you know, ride the waves, and this is just another huge wave that can be life changing, right? Um, and you really enhance your career. I mean, the problem a few years ago is I had to go and get a PhD in math 
to try and understand any of this stuff and statistics and all the rest of it. I mean, a lot of us who, who a lot of people watching this aren't at that level, but it sounds like it's now more available. Like you said, just with APIs, I could actually do something serious with AI. Absolutely. No, I think I think that is the that is a big shift that's happened right now. I think you're, yeah. you're spot on right now, and I think I think and that's where you're seeing a a lot of a lot of interesting applications being built. You know, um, you know, all the way from like, you know, ChatGPT is a classic example, but there are so many variations of like tools like that, that that's coming out of Bard, that's coming and uh, that's being built on top of Anthropic. And, and each one of these experiences are going to change how we, you know, how we perceive technology you know, fundamentally. We've got ChatGPT as an example, and Cisco have got uh, th- this new product, and uh, this is obviously going to grow, but that opens up a whole ecosystem, doesn't it? Um, where if I write an application, I could interface with those APIs and like create something brand new. Absolutely, yes. You know, you, you're, you know, it, 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 it's the beginning of like, you know, a new journey, you know, yeah. where we're going to start to see a whole lot of interesting suite of applications being built out. In fact, you know, one of the interesting concepts that that ChatGPT had was the notion of plugins, right? Being able to, yeah. you know, um, bring your plugin and then connect it into ChatGPT. It's sort of very similar to how Copilot is thinking about something called skills inside of the Microsoft ecosystem. We have a very similar perspective in terms of how we sort of see ourselves unifying this assistant across all of the security cloud. And uh, and you're going to see us like, you know, talk a little bit more about that, you know, as, as the, you know, as the weeks progress, as the months progress. Um, but but that's definitely on top of our minds in terms of how we can um, supercharge an entire ecosystem of uh, capabilities on top of the assistance. We're running out of time, so last question. Where will the world be in five years? Nasty question, but just like to give people kind of like, where, where, where is it going? Where do you see it going? No, it's uh, it's going to be you know absolutely interesting, right? I think it's, uh, it, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, but my, my, my instincts are that you're going to see compute and computational pieces fundamentally change. You know, it's going to be less and less of keyboards and mouse and more of being able to, you know, talk to Alexa and series of the world. Um, you're going to see a huge amount of intelligence come into like, you know, day-to-day tasks, opening a browser, uh, you know, filling out a form. A lot of those things are going to go through fundamental changes. So in five years from now, you're going to see a very different modality of like how you engage with, you know, any type of compute. Any type of, uh, you know, the infrastructure that supports that compute is going to go through a huge amount of change. And uh, and I do believe that it, it's going to get very interesting, you know, from a, a purely from like, uh, you know, user experience and, and a usability point of view. DJ, I really want to thank you. I know we're out of time. I really want to thank you for sharing, you know, not just the scary stuff, but like also future for people and how things are changing. Thanks so much. David, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks so much for having me on your show.